And you're listening to The Collabcast, a podcast about pop culture and the creative life from an Asian-American perspective. Yeah. Blink twice and I'm here now, I'm running from my problems, but I hope it's the right path. Too many rappers acting now, I wanna be typecast. From sitting in sight class to gripping that mic fast. I was sipping that crown straight, cause I wanna be like dad. Wanna be like Grams, I wanna be like mom, but I wanna be like Jay and I wanna be like Nas. Wanna be a version of all the people that passed on. And write lyrics so that the spirit can latch on. Yeah, what would you live for? What would you die for? What would you let a tear come up out of your eye for? Growing up with pine trees made me think of a pine box. I wanna die and revive just for an you know that I'm repping that bullshit. And hey everyone, welcome to episode 85 of the Clubcast. It's Thursday, September 15th, 2016. I'm Marvin Yue. And I'm a congested Minji. <laughs> and we are your hosts for this weekly look at pop culture in Asian America. Um, Minji's still in New York, so that's why she's getting sick all of a sudden because of foreign contaminants in the air and bugs and such. And weather things <laughs> that you hate talking about. So no, never talk about weather on a podcast. Uh, but we're joined this week by one of our New York friends. He's a beatboxer and past collaboration star and New York winner. Everyone welcome Sung Lee. Sung. How you guys doing? Hey, what's up? What's up, Sung? It's good to be connecting with you guys again. <laughs> yeah. And and as a, an official New Yorker, as I've just been informed. Yeah, I just moved out here a couple months ago and I'm loving it so far. <laughs> Jersey well, you've boy. Been, you've been in working in New York for the last couple of years though, right? Yeah, I have. I've been working in New York, but I was still living in Jersey, which is where I grew up. And it was, it was kind of a hassle. And now that I'm actually right in the city, it's, it's so much better. Nice. Welcome to the, that's crazy to me. Cause like to me in my head, you know, and that's like the uneducated non-New Yorkerness, but you don't, you don't get, I mean, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm here to learn, but you kind of just learn the difference between being in Manhattan and then, not <laughs> and yeah. what, what that requires it's all convenience especially when it's like everything is so easy to get to by public transit uh yeah. it's the same thing in um, dc actually it's you either live in dc or you live outside of dc and no one wants to go where you are to the other places you know <laughs> are you in manhattan song yeah i live uptown in harlem nice uh, that's also where the apollo is <laughs> yeah, you're right theater. by the 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 glory place. Right, I forgot uh, that in my um not so great intro of you, but Sung is also a former amateur night Apollo champion. He, you won that the same year you won a uh, collaboration star, right? Yeah, I actually won that like literally back, like collaboration star was two weeks prior to uh, the finals <laughs> of amateur night. It was like back to back, and it was like the craziest month of my life. <laughs> That's awesome. I was so proud of you. I remember like I saw a short video of that performance. Maybe not that one, the one that led up to that November performance. But I just remember it's it's like that really satisfying feeling of like just amazing the crap out of everybody who did not expect you to to make those noises or to have that to be making that music. I don't know. It was just amazing right. to see it because we, we experienced that in our own version with collaboration, obviously, but then to see it in like such a, a different setting. I don't know. That was really dope. I was beaming with pride. I was so happy for you. Well, we'll get more into Sung's New York adventures as well as Minji's New York adventures in our featured segment. But first, each and every week, we start off the podcast going around our table, our figurative online table. And talk about what's on our minds in the world of pop culture in Asian America. So um, this week, let's start with Minji. What's on your mind, Minji? Um, this week has been, it's been an extension of last week, I guess. <laughs> but, um, well, this happened last week. But uh, how to eat pho 
has been on my <laughs> mind, especially just because our friend Jenny Yang released uh, a response satire video, How to Eat PBJ, which was amazing. Um, but basically, for for those of you who, I don't know, I, I can't imagine that many Asian Americans to not have seen this because it went pretty viral, I would imagine, within our community. But there was a lot of reaction to this this video that was put up by Bon Appetit, um, which is a food magazine. And they put out a video about a chef who owns a pho restaurant in Philadelphia, in Philly. And he's just kind of talking about his process. And, you know, it's very artsy, very hipster, very 2016 food video. And he's just talking about, you know, well, the title that Bon Appetit put is like how to I don't know because they deleted it. What was the what was the original name? Do you guys remember? Um, the like, correct way to eat. The uh, correct, the correct way, way to eat pho. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and Vietnamese noodles, mind you, right? Like Vietnamese comfort food. And then you know the <laughs> the video starts and it's this like lovely, you know, sincere, very white Caucasian male talking about his process of making pho and the broth and how hurtful and disrespectful it is to like just dump in sauce, the hoisin sauce and the sriracha right like right when you get your pho and that you shouldn't do that and the twirl and like how he eats noodles and that it's the new ramen. I mean, it was just two minutes of like, are you, is this, I, there, of course it was real. Again, we have too many moments like this. I'm just like, is this real or is this a joke? Uh, <laughs> but of course it's not. So lot of backlash, a lot of reactions uh, from Asians who are Vietnamese and not Vietnamese, but it's just another moment of, oh, thank you so much for informing us and so educating it's, how it's we ought to do it. It's funny because I was just talking to, so we have a new intern in from um, Boston. She's also the associate director of Collaboration Boston, but when I was taking her, her to the um, 66 night market because she wants to experience it and on the way there we were actually joking about how in like the west side there are now pho restaurants and i wonder when white people are gonna you know discover this awesome thing called pho and tell all their friends and make it all trendy and then like the day after this video came out so you basically <laughs> prophesized it <laughs> yeah basically we saw it coming song you watched the video right i saw the video yeah it was how'd that go I for you <laughs> I mean, I was I was wondering, like, basically, the most of the backlash was because, was it because he was white, or was it because of the things he was saying? Because I don't I don't really know Fog because I've only had it a couple times and I'm not really a fan. So like, oh, you might have to get off this part. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's that's the thing. Like, Fa is for me, and I guess for Minji too, because of where we grew up. And Minji grew up in San Jose. I grew up in San Gabriel, where we grew up with a lot of Vietnamese friends like flow was like a way of life it's like one of the like staples of going out with friends and comfort food right so i think a lot of the backlash was in fact the fact that he was white but also the fact that the video was making a statement that this was the correct way and here's right, a white man to show you the correct way to consume this, this which dish. is which is on bon appetit more than anything like that that guy did not title that video and they're the ones who filmed, shot and edited it. Um, and, and there's just a lot, I mean, the conversation that it led to was how could you not, like this has been around for, this is not a new dish. Like you're treating it as the new fad, granted, and like you need a white chef from Philadelphia uh, with like a hipster <laughs> restaurant to validate that, that it's like worth trying. Okay, fine. Like that's just already kind of like a very arrogant, like ridiculous 
Right. I mean, that leads to the whole conversation that we've been having as a food-obsessed culture in the last couple of years about appropriation versus appreciation. Like, a lot of the anger was directed at the chef, which I also feel was unfair because, like, I grew up with a lot of, like, white boys and girls who grew up eating pho because of where we grew up and could honestly appreciate it, could honestly maybe, if they wanted to start a restaurant about how serving food that they grew up with, could conceivably open up a restaurant and be sincere about it. Like, I'm not, you know, he didn't say anything that would make me um, question his sincerity. Yeah. But as a producer, I also know that the questions you ask, the, t- the way you frame things can, you know, there is a bias. And it's definitely on, like, my annoyance is also on Bon Appetit as the outlet for, like, wanting to create this, like, like a stance of authority and using this dude as the authority. It's the whole thing with food critics praising Rick Bayless for bringing Mexican food and elevating it to the mainstream and for bringing this ethnic cuisine to the masses. And only he could do it because he's some mustachioed white dude, you know. And there's also a lot of controversy over um, Andy Ricker in L.A. for his um, restaurant Pak Pak, who is bringing traditional Thai cuisine to Chinatown, but as like a white guy who spent time in in Thailand. I just I I think my main gripe is with with Bon Appetit and, and the way that they framed it, their lack of research and lack of any sort of reverence or acknowledgement or honoring of where it actually fucking comes from. Like you couldn't you couldn't even like for for the in- sake of interesting content. I get that they're like highlighting this guy in this restaurant, but it's like. <laughs> If you're trying to respect the dish, and that's essentially what you're you're all about, right? You're about the food. Then I think for something that has existed long before, and it from a completely different place with different culture, different roots, like any sort of like, there's no reference, there's no reverence for that, and yeah. it's it's just insulting. It's like some person, <laughs> like Song. Can you imagine some person? Yeah. It's like someone's <laughs> walking in and like a white guy walking in and saying, "Here's the best how to make the best sarongtang." On or Korean barbecue or something and like that. barbecue, you know, and I'm like, my grandmother is going to like whoop your ass. Like, how dare <laughs> you? It's it's a it's a very like, I I don't think there was any malintent, but that's exactly the point. Is that there was su- such little thought that went into that. You well, know, there's always this contrast between again appropriation and appreciation. Right? Appropriation is taking this other culture's art or culture and like repackaging it as your own. Whereas appreciation is where you at least like you do that, but you also give credit. You acknowledge where that came from. And, you know, we, we run into that situation, too, as an Asian American community, especially, you know, I don't know if Sung can speak to our embrace of hip hop culture in both like K-pop and also in domestically in the States. You know, we have a lot of Asian American hip hop artists that really embrace that culture. And that's always an, uh, a conversation for us, too. Right. Yeah, I just... Again, like another thing to rant about, but it, it really was just irritating. I, I, I thought for me, like, and, and food is super personal and it's a very, very, you know, unique, inherent part of culture that that to me, it, it crossed a line that I was just like, oh, hell no. But yeah, that was my well, topic. Yeah. Everyone should check out Jenny's video. Um, check out the ongoing conversation on appropriation and appreciation, especially when it comes to food cultures. Um, there's been a lot of things going on um, with Vietnamese food, with Mexican food, also with Filipino food. There's There's been some stuff too. Um, Sung, what's been on your mind? Um, so I watched this uh, documentary on Netflix that came out a couple weeks ago called uh, I'll Sleep When I Die. 
And it's it's about Steve Aoki. I don't know if you heard about it. Steve Aoki, you know, the world famous Asian I watched Japanese it and DJ. I love Steve you loved yeah, you actually watched it? Yeah, I watched it. I have not, so I'm gonna let you guys talk about it. <laughs> but I know Steve Aoki because I of mean, um internet. Yeah. Um <laughs> I'm I think I was like two years too old to appreciate the new wave of Edom music. EDM. But, um, <laughs> oh my god. Because I remember I remember specifically like graduated from college and we were still listening to hip-hop we were still listening to like i think bay area hip-hop was still a big thing and then coming back to a party a year later and everyone was listening to like techno music I was like what happened in the last 12 months because it's a uh, yeah it happened so fast yeah like 20 like in the past couple of years it just exploded well i think it's even more than the past couple of years i mean in in a way like the the festival circuit has definitely amplified but that festival circuit like coachella and all that and edc has been around for <laughs> a long time yeah so I like i said like when i graduated college which was 10 years ago because <laughs> you call it edam i'm gonna <laughs> Adam. It's Adam music. See, my like my wave of techno was in high school when it was all like it was about the trance. Nice. The Wait, so song. Tell tell us about so when you watched it, what happened? Like, were you super I mean, inspired? It, it was it was pretty inspiring. I mean, in a nutshell, Marvin, it's about it just documents his life and how he he got started, and he, he actually comes from a really really rich background. Like his dad is like the founder of the Benny Hanna, restaurant right? chain. Benny Hanna, yeah. I learned that on the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, and he did. He, he didn't get any support from them because they were against his per, his pursuit of pursuing music. And he started like this record label when he was nineteen, and he's he was grinding it out for you know over a decade before he really made it big. And I don't and know, unexpectedly just, too. Right, and he's Asian, <laughs> so it gives hopes. For, for guys like me. <laughs> I, I read an article and we actually shared this on collaboration. Like I totally feel you song because he's like such a main such a mainstream, like welcomed, loved um musician who is Asian, who's Japanese American. Um and he uh, apparently studied Asian American studies at UC Santa Barbara and he was considering getting his PhD in Asian American studies, which is like Oh wow. Inc- yeah, I had I had absolutely no idea that he was so intrigued by that part of his life or that, you know, because I feel like there's some, and it, it was funny because it made me take two steps back and think, you know, the assumptions that we make about certain artists who are like, quote unquote, whitewashed, like there's that. And he, he called himself that, you know, he said when he was growing up <laughs> in LA and Newport Beach, he was super whitewashed. Like he wanted to like, because he was surrounded by it and, you know, he wanted to make friends and be popular. I don't know. It's just like he's had a really incredible very complex life and a very deep like exactly what you said like a deep relationship with his his dad um always trying to prove it. and he talks about that like you don't this is how men are especially asian men especially japanese men and he he goes into that a bit um and i i just appreciated i don't know someone of his you know, fame and his notoriety to to speak on that and and to kind of and that you know that that's opening that conversation for a lot of people who never think about it. You know, right? Yeah, I want to be a DJ now. <laughs> oh yeah, is that what we're gonna see for the? No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I mean, lately I've been like, I've been more into EDM. Like uh, a couple weeks ago, I went to uh, the festival Electric Zoo. Nice. In uh in New York, and a couple months before that, I went to EDC. Like these are things that I've never done before, but lately I've been. <laughs> exploring this this whole culture and it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty dope actually 
It's amazing. And it has yeah. a lot of history, too, just, like, where it came from and how it's changed. Because, it's, like Marvin said, it's, like, it's changed a lot. Wait, so, Marv, have you ever... You've never been to an actual rave ever? I mean, the closest like, thing was, like, school dances where they played rave music. Uh-huh. Because that's what all the kids listen to. They played rave music at school dances? <laughs> I mean, uh, they played, like, school dances <laughs> and, like, ATC and, like, uh, you know, like, Serena Paris. I mean, that doesn't really count, does it? Oh, <laughs> Serena Paris looks so happy right now. <laughs> How cute. Um, I mean, we all knew the moves, like the light stick moves and the jumping up and down. Well, I think it the was... jumping up and down stuck, but I don't think the light stick stuck. I but... think light stick's still, still there. Like, people are still dropping E, right? I mean, well, yeah, and there's the whole light shows, but I don't think like <laughs> the bulk of EDM, you know, the ravers are doing that. Mm. They're the, the single. I rock. don't know. I um. My concept of rave is still like what I saw people do in high school. Song, I think we need to we need to um, show Marvin what's up. <laughs> Come to New York. <laughs> Seriously, oh my god, that would be so fun. I it was funny because my roommate in San Francisco was all about that life, and I was a total hip hop and R and B girl because you know like that's just what I grew up with, and I was a little bit snotty about it. I was like, what is this hip hop? Uh, not hip hop. This like you know techno, blah blah blah. Adam. Adam. And then I went to Outside Lands in San Francisco and I saw Dead Mouse live. Like that was my introduction. And that's like the best introduction I think some people, like a lot of people could have to experiencing EDM live for the first time. So my question is, okay, is it how much of being there live is the spectacle? Because I understand the music is catchy and, you know, there's some skill or musicality of making a dope beat and getting people to sing on it there's and a making huge it good. skill in but that like um a lot of what i see going on is like these big ass stages with like fog machines and smoke machines and pyrotechnics and stuff like that and it just it kind of reminds me of k-pop honestly like the whole like the spectacle being part and i, I agree that's part of the live show i mean like jenna jackson shows or beyonce shows or whatever are all about that as well in addition to the music i guess for me my speed's always been more like like coffee house like those type of like, I guess more hipster like look venues. You are such a hipster. No, but I think EDM is like well, the show element is is because it used to be so underground before, and it really was more about the music. I from what I know, I'm limited in my yeah. knowledge, but I think it was a lot more about the. It still is very much about the music, but now it has kind of evolved and expanded, in my opinion, <laughs> to include that show element that I think is amazing because that's exactly what um, Steve Aoki is so notorious for and that's what added to his sticking out from everybody else is that he's an incredible showman. Like he makes yeah. it, a his personality is so huge and I actually got into his show at South by Southwest. I waited almost two hours um, to see to see his set and I was like, dude, there's something about this that I, I know I'm going to regret that I was here and that I didn't give it like a solid shot to see him. <laughs> and when I when I saw him, it was like his energy is infused in his music. But then when he's there dancing and like spraying champagne on people and caking people, it, it gives you such a surge of like life. I don't know how else to describe it, but it gives you this incredible energy that like you're you are just, so much younger than me. Right you're no and like marv <laughs> this is what i'm saying i could imagine adult, like i will still go to raves when i'm a grown-ass woman like which i am but you know <laughs> i'm saying when i'm 40 i'd be down because i think that's what i like i'm getting <laughs> loud because this is what music guys remember does. this this has been 
archived on the internet forever that she yes. can say this. I'm going to pull this audio and play it for her every time. She <laughs> claims to be too old to go out in 10 years. This music is like, the, and the signature of our, of our culture and of our, our generation of saying like, this is the energy that makes us like feel passionate about being alive. I, uh, <laughs> the main reason I started to appreciate this culture more is just, just for the vibes, you know, just being in, in, in these festivals where mm-hmm. everybody's just feeling the energy yeah. and everyone's out there to have fun and that live environment is, is so fun. Yeah, song and then I await your, the day that you start making, like that dabbling in EDM, who knows. All right, we can talk more to Sung about that in our next segment. But before we get to our break, um, I need to talk about what's been on my mind. And uh, what's been on my mind is um, Asian folktales. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this, but um, Sony Pictures is making another version of the live-action Mulan, or another live-action version of Mulan. I had no idea because I I saw some people get all... Mu- like there's some petition or something happening. I yeah. thought that was for the the single. Isn't Disney making the first one? Disney is making a live action version, um, and that was that came out about like, almost a year ago or like a while ago. That was the big thing, and then now Sony Pictures is saying they're also making a version of the um, live action Mulan. And people are confused about this um, a little bit because like how can another company do Mulan? But Mulan isn't a Disney property. It's a Chinese legend, so it's kind of in the um, the common domain well it's kind of like how they do like all those versions of the hulk and spider-man right not even that because hulk and spider-man are still owned by a company okay nobody owns the legend of mulan it is you know china does it is a chinese legend (laughs) (laughs) but um once that announcement came out everyone got so up in arms because oh no they might whitewash this which is like kind of a hilarious reaction to like but it's also not out of the realm of yeah, possibility, possibility, which is so sad. That'll be, that'll <laughs> and the petitions has like she cast a white person for that. They're gonna cast a white guy for Shane. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be the white general from from England or something. But the petitions we gotten like ninety thousand signatures by now, and it's, it's like you just look at it and see like hmm, internet, well played. But um, it got me thinking about just why, why is it just Mulan, right? And then. I started thinking about other Asian folktales that could be made into a Hollywood movie. And I couldn't really think of anything else that's been in the public consciousness. You know, we've had versions of stories, but a lot of like a lot of the stories that I grew up with as a um, Taiwanese Chinese boy, I've only really seen in Asian cinema. Right. And I guess I wanted to ask you guys. If you guys were to make one of your childhood Asian folktale stories into a Hollywood movie, which one would you do or which one do you think would be the most um, acceptable? That's a ter- terrible term. The most palatable to you know mainstream Hollywood audiences. No, I'm not even going to front. I don't know any. That's what I'm saying. I was about to say. I think I'm just pr- – maybe we're, I'm out of touch with my Asian roots, but I can't think of any. There's no like Korean like childhood stories or – I was in a, it was I was in the <laughs> musical for the Korean Cinderella, but it's essentially a different. It's like a more Korean cultured version of Cinderella, with like a fairy godmother and like all that stuff, and like her father and things like that. But like that's the only one. But I also know there's one like Shimchong. Like that was another musical oh, I, know that. I saw. Yeah, right. That's like the only. And there's like fo- there's like um, fairy tales where there's like animals. There's like the bear and the the tiger story. That would be that. I, now that we have the CGI to make Jungle Book come alive, that could possibly happen. But it's not like 
it's the legend of like the creator of the earth and sky or like the gods something like that but right see, so this, they'll cast all these korean animals and cast them with white voices right like charlie Theron and, um, and yes uh, meryl streep and, and and helen mirren because she is the <laughs> distinguished british voice i don't know this, this is like a, I, I get where you're coming from mar but like yeah like what song said i don't even know that many korean folk tales or famous stories that i kind of look at it from like a white perspective too like i don't think everybody knew even what was it called the revenant that like he's like a famous wilderness guy i didn't like i'm i grew up 31 years in america i didn't know anything about this dude he's and, a dude that wrote a book and then it became legend but I mean, yeah, that's kind of but where, apparently like that's like he's like a living legend or like folktale kind of I mean, thing for all Americana. <laughs> he's well known for people who follow like Civil War history. Yeah, but and so I think, like we don't. Follow... I mean, that's I guess, and I guess that's like the 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 magic of cinema is like bringing these obscure niche stories into the public domain. But also, it goes back to our appropriation versus appreciation conversation, where like. Kubo and Two Strings, right? It takes bits and pieces from a lot of different Japanese folktales. Um, and if you are familiar with those folktales, you can recognize that. But if you're not, it just looks like, oh, it's an original story. And if someone didn't tell you that's, you know, it's actually based on like culture, you wouldn't know, right? Yeah. Um, so but that's a whole different topic. And we can talk about that, you know, next time it happens to Hollywood. Um, so I guess I'll just run down a couple stories that I had in mind. Um, first of all, um, there has been rumblings. There has been an announcement that the uh, the creators of Game of Thrones have their next big IP, which is the um, the story of Chinese Empress Wu Zetian, which is a pretty interesting choice. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Empress Wu Zetian was the only female empress. Get it, girl. In Chinese history, like she had her own, her own dynasty, and she came to power as yeah, she, you know, she started as a concubine, and then basically maneuvered her way politically to like the head of state of China for like almost 100 years. Um, so it's the subject of a lot of really great sea dramas. There's really a really big one, Chinese drama that came out a couple years ago starring Fan Bingbing that was like huge. So coming from the makers of Game of Thrones, which is, you know, fantasy house of cards, you know, fantasy political thriller. Um, I'm super excited about that. And hopefully that'll get more interest in these stories. But there are other other stories too. I don't know if you guys know about the legend of like the three kingdoms. No, nope. um, <laughs> it's this um, saga of Chinese. Like it's been made into a lot of like anime and video game stories, but it's basically the Warring Kingdoms period um, before the unification of China, or is it, I think after unification unification of China, um, and it's basically three warring nations that um, basically a lot of political intrigue, a lot of backstabbing, a lot of loyalties. It's kind of like again Game of Thrones, but like in ancient China. They made a huge movie about it um, a couple years ago called The Red Cliff. And um, it um, definitely has a lot of potential for big set-piece action scenes and wushu martial arts and also political intrigue and people talking to each other. Um, this is this is my question for this then. Like, I think it's great that there are all these like stories that are are yet to be discovered or turned into like into a blockbuster or things like that. But there's a number of questions that arise given the 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 politics of of the racism, the whitewashing, and whatever. So say that, just as an example, some we're going to take our one <laughs> folktale that we both know, which is, which is Shim Chung, right? And it's about a girl taking care of her ailing father, and it's like she, she like goes to the bottom of the sea, and she meets the sea prince, and da-da-da-da. Like, there's, like, maybe, I'd say three to five 
key characters, like solid speaking characters that could be cast for said movie, right? Would we want Asian Americans? Like, first of all, would this movie be in English, right? Like, if this is a Korean mm. folktale, because right. if it was like made by Hollywood and we wanted to preserve authenticity, would the the cast be Korean speaking? You know, obviously people get pissed off if like a Chinese chick was as you know cast it, like Lucy Liu is cast as Chim Chong. I get that, but are we expecting this film to be in English? And like, who are we collaborating with? Where is this like? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's so many other nuances. Like, I feel like people are going to be pissed off at one angle or another. Where So that's the thing. Like, Mulan doesn't speak English. Right. right? But everyone But is... you want that story to, like, reach new audiences by making it in... I think that in and of itself is, like, pretty cool. That Yeah. So I guess what what exactly are you, are you asking? Would we, we be okay if the casting like, was a little loose on it? Or like, what's yeah. the? <laughs> I'm I'm just well, I'm playing double, like I'm just bringing up the number of like complaints that I can imagine happening. So if this, if some, if I'm just pulling a director out of the air, if Ron Howard said like, "Yo, I I heard this really gorgeous um, Korean folktale, and I I think that we can really make something incredible out of this," and got whoever you know to give two hundred fifty million dollars to make this thing, right? What are people going to get pissed off about? They're first, they're going to sign a petition saying, you better cast an Asian person. But even in that Asian person, like, does it have to be a Korean person? And does that Korean person have to speak? The, is the movie going to be written in Korean and everybody else supposed to read it in subtitles? And then are people going to get pissed off that Ron Howard's the director? Like, why didn't they get a Korean director? Like, you know, why didn't they get, you know? But I that mean, Korean yeah, we can, I think we can speculate all we want on what might happen if this happens. Um, my original question was just, what stories do you think could be in the pipeline? And But that's part of what yeah. I'm saying. That pipeline is dictated by those factors. That's the reality of that business. Do you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. I, I am asking you, Marv, like, how okay would you be with that? Like, if they take that three worlds, was it, I'm sorry, what was the title of that folktale? The Three Wars? Romance of Three Kingdoms. Um, and, I mean, if that was just an example. I don't know, like... I think there would be some some anger or like I don't mind if it's Asian American if there's like no accents and in terms of ethnic casting like because it's like the American version, um, I don't think I would be as angry if like they casted like Rick Yoon as Liu Bei or something because like he's you know cool action dude if they cast their friend Josh as one of the Chinese soldiers like cool I mean because they're making the American version I kind of feel like um, giving them some leeway too because it's an inter- art interpretation. Right, maybe it doesn't have to be set in ancient China. Maybe it's a story based on the romance of the three kingdoms. I guess it depends on how they craft the story. Totally fair. I'm not yeah. trying to harpoon you, Marvin. I'm asking you a question. Like, how would you be okay with it? Because we are like we talk about these things all the time. So I don't know. I was just gonna say, for me, as long as the cast is, uh, let's say, if it was the the Shimcheong thing, as long as they're Korean, I'll be I'll be fine with it. <laughs> and they can speak English too. <laughs> they can speak English. That's fine with me. See, it's baby steps, right? We're like, yeah. not baby steps, but I think it's, there's concession. Not, I don't know. There's so many ways to go about it. Okay. I had one more example, but we're running long on time. But for those of you who are curious, um, Legend of Momotaro is one that I really want to see interpreted because that's ripe for merchandising and kids stuff. But um, let's take a quick break um, to talk about some updates from the world of collaboration. And we'll be right back to talk more about New York life with Sung Lee. 
Hey everyone, thanks again for listening to the Clobcast. Um, this podcast, of course, is part of Collaboration, a nonprofit organization supporting Asian Americans in arts and entertainment. Discovering, elevating, showcasing, and connecting the creative talents of our communities. You can learn more about Collaboration at collaboration.org, that's collaboration with a K, where you can find out more information about our organization as well as check out our digital content, including podcasts, videos, and blog articles. You can also find out more information on our upcoming events in November, including our Empower Creative Leadership Conference and our Collaboration Star Finale Showcase, both taking place over the weekend of November 11th and 12th in Los Angeles, California. The Collabcast is also proud to be a founding member of Potluck, a collective of podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian American community. You can find out more about the Potluck Collective by going to the website podcastpotluck.com or by following us on Twitter at Podcast Potluck. If you like the Collabcast, try checking out one of the other great programs on the Potluck Network, including our newest show, Saturday School. Saturday School is a podcast where Brian Hu and Ada Sang teach us about Asian American pop culture history. It'll be a blast from the past as they dig up some of the favorite works they've come across covering Asian American arts and entertainment over the years. The first season takes place over the fall semester of 2016 and focuses on Asian American comedy. So if you got a hankering to learn more about Asian American pop culture, enroll for Saturday School at podcastpotluck.com. As always, you can reach the Clobcast by emailing us at podcast at collaboration.org. We always love to hear from you. And uh, that's it for me. Uh, let's get you back to the show. And welcome back to the Collabcast, episode 85. I'm your host, Marvin Yua. Joining me is Minji Chang and our guest, Sung Lee, also known as Sung Beats on the YouTube. On the YouTube. How's it going, Sung? On the internet. That's, that's funny. It's, it's nice that you mentioned me as Sung Beats because like for a while I was, I was just keeping, keeping it Sung Lee and I didn't, know, I didn't know what to do with the Sung Beats, but like I think I officially, a couple months ago, I just decided to just stick with Sung Beats. So that's it. It's no, a good name. No Sung Lee anymore. You can call, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, it's like my name is in the, in the name. Well, nice to meet you, Mr. Beats. Um, <laughs> enjoy, enjoy your videos very much. Um, welcome, welcome, Mr. Beats. Very good to Sung have you. Sung is... Um, good to be here. Like, like um, we mentioned at the top of the show, Sung recently moved into New York proper, but he's been working there for the last couple of years, hustling as a musician. Um, so Sung is a beatboxer by trade. He makes lots of sounds with his voice and his mouth and his throat. Um, and it's very impressive. Yeah, very impressive. He won collaboration with that skill, and he's um, one of the best that we've seen. <laughs> um, um, so Sung... I mean, you've had when? What year did we? I can, I need a refresher song. Help me out. So we we what, met. Me and Minji met in twenty fourteen collaboration, 14. New York. Yes. yes. And oh, I know I, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> where am I going I with? I you tell me. Okay, no, actually, I, was, I want you to take it from here. <laughs> well, she's told the story before, okay. but song you can tell the story. I I remember a, a funny story about like when oh, so when we when when blah, when we met, I performed and she told me that. She got stuck in the elevator and couldn't see. Oh my god! I totally forgot about that. <laughs> I that's thought that's so... what you're gonna. <laughs> okay, but I'm. That's I thought that was where you were going too. You could elaborate on that. Well, maybe. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was gonna talk about how blown away I was and like all that stuff and at Star and whatever. But yeah, no. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> yeah, I'm an idiot. Um, Sorry, put you on the spot. <laughs> no, it's all good. That's so classic. I'm totally fine. It was. Um, I freaked out because I I knew I wanted to like watch every finalist set and I made this whole big deal about it, but which it's at the Skirball, right? 
Scarborough Center, yeah. And yeah, one. and and that labyrinth is not <laughs> like it's not set up so that you know when you go one direction you can go back that direction to go back to the same place. It doesn't work that way in that building. And somehow I ended up in the adjacent building. I just went down an elevator, man. Like, I don't know how I ended up in the building next door, which was closed and locked. And there's no way for me to get back to the other building. <laughs> so we had to call security. That was great. And yeah, I, I missed the performance. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm but, an idiot. but you saw the rest of them, right? I saw the rest of them. Yeah. But <laughs> you sleep just missed some. <sighs> Fail. That's but, right. Uh, you saw me perform uh, a few months after. I know, I know. And then I got to see you at Star. And that's where I was like, yay, I finally see you. It was amazing. Um, can you refresh my memory of like when exactly you started that? Because you started doing that with like YouTube and stuff, right? Because you're doing what all people say that they want to do is like, I'm going to learn how to sing and play guitar and beatbox. Well, the thing with Sung is also like, he's like straight up hustling in the streets of New York, right? You, you, you were playing subway stations. You're playing like... Busking. Right. I actually saw Minji that uh, yeah. at Union Square when I was busking a couple of weeks ago. That was like my second <laughs> night here, I think. Yeah, and it was lit. <laughs> it, it was yeah. it was cool. <laughs> nice. When did when was the first time you busked? I want to know about that. The first time I bust. Busked. Uh, busked. Busked. For those of you that don't know what busking is, it's when you perform in the streets, uh, with and and you get tips and donations, and. Uh, the first time I think it was 2013, like three years ago exactly, and that's when I first like began this journey of the pursuit of, you know, becoming this beatbox professional, and the, the journey of Sung beats. beats. That's right. <laughs> and man, it was, it's nerve wracking. Like the first time you do it, like you, you, it doesn't go well. <laughs> Even though I thought like I had all the skills or whatever. Like performing in, in in the subways is it's like a different animal. Like you have to know what to do in order to attract their attention and to get the the money that you need. You can't just play. It's not like it's it's different from being on stage. Like you have to do do certain things. There's certain nuances that you have to uh, be aware of, such as like making eye contact or like or like placing like five dollar ten dollar bills in your money basket. That to makes like a difference. Get, encourage the, them. I'm, I'm not even. Or to show people it's okay have, that people have actually given if him you money. You have fives and tens and twenties in your money basket. You'll get five tens and twenties. That's how like the psychology works. It's pretty crazy. You're and manifesting on your own. That's awesome. Right, right. So I always make sure to bring like a ton of cash and just start off with that. <laughs> you learned it here for all you future busters of America or the world. Like that's. Right. I think that's a really solid tip, and that totally yeah. makes sense. <laughs> because yeah. it's kind of like someone else put their faith in you or like they put their like literally they put their dollars down there for you so i right. should too i remember us doing a piece on you um during that time to pre to prepare for your performance at star and how you were like crashing at your sister's place while you're doing that like coming in from jersey and like yeah i mean it was my jersey home like where i grew up like my parents house yeah and yeah okay. it was i was literally taking like I had, so first of all, I have a lot of equipment because it requires amplification. So I have like speakers, like a battery, my loop gear, stands. Like I, I shoved that all into like this giant suitcase. It's very heavy. And what I would do, I would just like take a bus and then go to New York, 
and then take the subway and then and then busk. And it's like this process and yeah, I was just grinding it out and like I I I I I, I like doing it. <laughs> that's okay, that that's that sharp. Keep me sharp. That's that's a very good attitude and work ethic because for me, like I can only imagine how hard the first time is, like that you've never done it before and that you're very green and like all that, right? That's one thing. But then to experience all that and then do it again, to me, I imagine like the second time being in a way a little bit harder than the first because you already like went through and I, I imagine like you said, it doesn't go like great the first time. So right. what, what makes you, yeah. So how do you like go again? <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, how, do you, how, do you, how do you go from there? I mean, for me, it's just, like I kind of believe in myself. Like even even though I fail sometimes, and like I might fall, like I I know that I have like the ability to improve upon that, and so I just find ways. If there's ever like a wall or like an obstacle, I just find a way around. Always like find. There's always different angles you could tackle a problem with, and eventually you find a solution. And that's what I did. That's what I do with with busking, and that's what I do with beatboxing, and a lot of things in life. Yeah. I mean, Sung's, um, Sung's art is his business. And with any like small business, your own business, you can have good days, you can have bad days. And the important thing is not letting the bad days get in your head because next day might be a good day. And especially with, with your art and being out in public, you know, the more people that see you, the more people that might want to you know, bring you in for a show or bring you in for a private show. Or I mean, that's like the one that, that I, I imagine right. that there's so many different ways that somebody can take that. And based on like how you're raised or like your environment and your culture, obviously, which is why I'm always intrigued by um, the Asian community, because there is a tendency to shy away from from risk. I mean, that's kind of all human beings. Like, we're yeah, very yeah. risk risk averse. So I'm curious. Like, I know that this gets this gets asked to, like, all artists. And I, I asked this to Marvin, myself, and everybody. But it's like, where do you get your confidence from? Was that something that you just came out of the womb with? Was it, like, your mom always believed in you? Like, she believed, like, Steve Aoki's mom believed in him? Or, I, I don't know, do you meditate? Like, how does that, how does that it, keep it, going? It, it, Confidence is just it's it's almost like it's almost like a skill. So like when you start out with no confidence and and then you keep doing it and eventually you develop like the ability to be confident. And for me it's just literally about repetition and practice. And what what keeps me going I'm terrible at that. <laughs> I mean I well keep what kept me going was just that like I decided to do this without a plan B and like this is what that was that like rewind a little bit like in 2013 which is the year I started to like officially pursue this I was working a full-time job in Las Vegas and uh you know it, it was all right but like I wasn't that wasn't my passion and I knew like deep inside that my calling in life was music and beatboxing and that moment I just decided to move back to to the east coast and pursue this and as soon as I put my put my foot down and decided to do this 100 percent like there was no turning back so like you know i'm gonna do it and that's the thing like uh this is this sound terrible but that's kind of asianness in us too like not to do things half-assed right like if we're gonna do things <laughs> we're gonna overachieve and whether that be making art or being an engineer or doing math you know like we're we're taught to you know be the best and i think that manifests in different ways um well, that's that really well. that's a double-edged sword, though, because I hear some things in, like, 
like in that's also a stereotype that I think works against because here's the thing when you have an expectation placed upon you be it by somebody directly in your life or just by society and then you don't fulfill that like that's kind of the maturing process is like find what is something that where does it align with what you want and that's not something that's very (laughs) inherent in us like the overachieving part I think can be really, really toxic too. Like not to be a Debbie Downer, but well, yeah, of course. Like you don't want to set under, like you don't want to like expect that you're gonna do well. But I think the work hard part, the part where like we want to be the best at what we, and I think that's you no know, part of what you know busking is. Is like you can care about how much you brought in, bring in, and tips or whatever during the day. But the fact is, did I improve today? Did I nail my set? And you know, you take those small victories and you keep working towards you know eventually being yeah. the artist you want to be. Well, I think the right? busking, the thing that has always impressed me, because this is what, like, the the stereotype I have of, of New York and a lot of people have of New York is that it's just a tough-ass city. It's not a place where you go busk and then everyone's, like, being really nice to you and being like, good for you chasing your dreams. They're <laughs> like, who the hell is this guy? And why are you wasting, why are you... Uh, assaulting my ears with your I, I get that a lot sometimes actually did you oh my god yeah that's what like <laughs> I mean that's why I'm at that's why I think there's so much admiration for the fact that you you have done that in New York of all places right like but I also feel like New Yorkers get to the point right and when something's good something's good you know they're not gonna like hate on you just because they're you know they might hate on you because they're jealous but that's true they they, they, they tend to appreciate like they tend to appreciate an act if they're they're actually really good and and they're willing to open up their wallets for that, but but like you got a lot of stuff that they won't open up a lot their wallets <laughs> for, like you know beggars and panhandlers and yeah. all that stuff. Wait, but people have been like blatantly mean to your face, like oh yeah, like every time actually, every time I let's say I go out busking, I get people like closing their ears and saying shut up or like like, like once in a while actually, and then one one guy was like, what you're doing is not music, like. And then I got a guy that like threatened to uh, like break my speakers. It's crazy. You get all all sorts of people, but you know you can't dwell on that. I mean, some people just don't appreciate wow. the dope beats that sun creates. But then I imagine that just means that that builds that a very very tough skin, a thick skin, so that you I don't know in a weird way it kind of shields you because then when you you get it you're like all right you don't know what you're talking about all right that's your opinion <laughs> moving on. I don't know. <laughs> well, speaking of that's why they say. LA people are soft. <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I mean, that's that's also no. My New York friends have said like they're literally yeah. But New York people out. love New York people. To of them, course, everyone else is I'm inferior. They, they have a lot of pride in that. Everybody's proud of where they come from. That's their criticism of the LA <laughs> is that they're super soft and they can't take. Well, what's your opinion? Reality. Being on both sides now, what's your? Opinion? I can see where they're. I can see where they're coming from. It's it's a just different way of hustling. I feel like. I mean, everyone's competing in LA. No matter, you know. Yeah. It is a competition, but at the same time, there is. I think depending on what gr- circle you're in, there are a lot of really like genuinely supportive people out there. But of course, everyone's going after their own thing. I think it's just more obvious in New York. It's, that's there's no preconceived notion of like, hey, we're buddies, and I really, you know, like no, I want that, so I'm gonna go get it. If you wanna like, I don't think that makes us soft though. Like that, we want to support each other. But it also like because no, but I'm saying it's like when you get the criticism or when you get told like you're not good enough or this doesn't cut it or this is like 
you need to step up your game or you need to improve or do this or do that or be better at business or like it's I don't think we receive that feedback as with as thick of a skin because we're just not used mm. to it you know what I mean like it'll it, it will knock you on your ass a little bit harder than if you're used to getting it all I don't day. Know, I've heard stories like of very day. blunt agents like meetings and stuff like that. Like people are mean there. Yes. Well, that's Asian people. <laughs> no, agents like agencies oh, and Asian. talent. Like, oh yeah. Casting directors oh, people are yeah. horrible. Like, yeah, I, I. I'm not calling LA soft. I'm just saying <laughs> I see where both sides come like come from. Well, speaking of us being soft and you guys being hard over there minji how's your how's your hardness coming along how's living the New York life? <laughs> that's exactly what i'm saying is that it's making me see how much i need to toughen up <laughs> oh wow that's that's interesting how long are you here for i'm here for a month oh. yeah i mean i have been here a bunch of times and i've always got i love that vibe about new york and i talked about the last one it's I just love the energy. I love that people, I really just don't people, I don't think people are assholes here. I think just people have things to do and places to go. And like, this is a very fast moving city. So if you are going to slow that down in any way, I could see it's like, yo, I got to go. Can't talk to you. What do you need? Can't help you there. Take care. Goodbye. Like, I don't know. I like it a lot. I'm, I'm appreciating, but I definitely, I, I might've cried once. <laughs> I, I missed home. <laughs> Well, you're in Brooklyn too, right? I think is Brooklyn the same like intensity as like say Manhattan? No. Uh, the kids out here who play basketball every day, they could kick my ass. <laughs> like with their thumb. Uh, well not like it's a mix of things. <laughs> They're tough. I mean, but hmm. it's like it's a Brooklyn right now, I'm the air I'm in Bushwick, but it's like a mix of really hipster. And then, like, I think really authentic urban Brooklyn. Like, what was there before gentrification? I think there's kind of a 50-50 split. <laughs> so it's changing. Yeah. You know how to really toughen you up is to experience East Coast winter. Like a full yeah. winter. Oh, tell me about that. <laughs> Imagine carrying, like, a suitcase in the snow with ice. Woo. Those are two so tough you, days. You did, <laughs> that, did that all year I did that rain... Right, yeah, I, like back in when I first started, yes, like I did that rain, shine, or snow. That is insane. Was, See, I'm not good. that it hard. It made me tough. Good for you. I just get rejected. From no, but like I had, I had to because this is the thing. I like, I'm not that hard, but you know, I, I have the rent to pay. You know, I have obligations. So like that's and that's that was basically my I job. Mean, yeah. so that's the way I made income. It's your job. You like, got to have do it. to do it. Yeah, <laughs> and. I think I that's a good attitude respect. to have, you know. Like so a lot of people treat art and like performing as like a side hustle, but you know, if you really want to do it, you really got to commit. And you know, that's where you hear all these stories about artists. Like when when was the turning point? And a lot of like entrepreneurs, like when is the turning point? Turning point is when they actually decided this is my job now. This is my thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. Like I've been beatboxing for a long time. Like. Oh, like almost a decade and a half, but it it didn't become my job until three years ago. So that's a, See, it's, a, it's different. <laughs> you've been doing your fair share of traveling and stuff, though, right? Like you've been outside of New York a lot for doing your beatboxing gigs and stuff. Yeah, here and there. Like next week, I'll be in Ohio for a couple of days, perform at a school, and nice. I think I'll, I think I'll be in LA in November, like two weeks before collaboration star, though. 
Aww. It would be nice if I was there like that weekend. Maybe I could, you know, just do something. Just your trip. <laughs> Perhaps. I don't know. I have to. Son's got to make that money, man. He's got to go <laughs> perform on stages and crush it. Then how does my, how do you think, what do you think of my analysis? About uh, LA people being soft? <laughs> LA versus New York and I don't know. I'm offended. I'm not saying LA people are I soft. Mean, I'm, I'm saying never, New like, Yorkers I've never, told like, me that LA people are soft. I can't really make a judgment because I haven't really like lived there. I, I've only been there like, every time I go there, it's like a couple of days. And I, I meet people there and they're cool, but like. I would admit that we are we are softer here in terms of weather wussiness. Like oh, okay. when it gets above eighty and below seventy, people complain a lot. Yes. Like right now, outside it's like windy, maybe like sixty-eight degrees, and people are already wearing parkas. <laughs> as I would be, as well, <laughs> and then getting yelled at by all my Midwest friends. <laughs> You're a pansy. Well, you have any tips um, for how to survive this New York life for Minji? Survive oh, for Minji? Yeah. You mean in the winter or like just in general? Just in general, or? how to like how to you know, like how how? To, yeah. uh, okay, <laughs> um, suck it up, Minji. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I am the but yeah, good advice. <laughs> that's a true New York that's answer right the there. <laughs> and and don't I, dwell on it, like. Whatever, oh no, whatever. that was like a day, a day. I definitely got. We all have our moments. No, but I I love it here. Honestly, I kind of want to figure out a way to have. Well, with Airbnb now, I feel like I can. I want to just be able to be bi coastal and basically come yeah. whenever I feel like it, um, in spring and fall. Because no, thank you, winter and summer. Uh-uh. <laughs> you got experience winter man that's uh i think that's a growth experience like that's a life you wanted the new york lifestyle you wanted like something like the reason minji's in new york is because it's always been her dream to like live in new york for a while but i feel like you can't really have that experience unless you go through my my parameters for living in new york was that i wanted to buy groceries and i wanted to stay long stay long enough to do gross buy groceries and do laundry that was it there was no uh, there's no mention f- of, of winter in there. <laughs> there's no feeling quite like walking outside and feeling every exposed piece of your skin hurt because <laughs> the cold is penetrating it. I have experienced that. I lived I lived in Europe during the winter, and I also lived in I went to Korea for a month in January. That shit was freezing too. <laughs> so, if you are asserting that I don't know winter, then you are wrong. But yeah, I've never stayed the whole winter. Just a tourist. You no, know, I month think. Or two. <laughs> I think I like the winters. I mean, as far as busking goes, I think I used to like the winters because more people would take the subways, and there hence there will be more people to perform to, and therefore more money. <laughs> ah, more yeah. good advice. <laughs> Someone would be a great business person because he has he's he has the strategy stuff down. Do you have like a like a a person to help consult you in the, that life? Like that's I'm very curious because for an independent artist you are essentially finding your way and obviously you know this industry of of music and being being an artist and making a living off that you don't have that many people to be like hey this is this is the way these are the tips and this is the track like i imagine right it's a very it can be very lonely am i wrong uh sometimes but it's also very independent i mean for me it's just it's just 
there's no there's no other way like i i like beatboxing that much like i'm obsessed with it and like i wanted to do this for so long and the fact that i'm just being like able to do it now is just it's it's so it's so rewarding word i love your positivity song all right and yeah, on i'm very optimistic <laughs> yeah no that's awesome and confident and there you go yeah so it means you gotta you, you gotta you gotta pick up on um, what Sung's laying down and be more like Sung Beats because <laughs> that guy's New York man. <laughs> That's New York, and that is a What's fire that? alarm in my building. Um, so on that okay. note, um, let's wrap this up. It's been great talking with you, Sung. If people want to find out more about you and your music, where should they go? Um, I have a website, uh, sungbeats.com. I also have. All my social media platforms is also Sung Beats, S U N G B E A T S. Awesome, and um, and Marvin needs to get the hell out. <laughs> it's okay, we're not burning down yet. Um, and okay. you can just catch us. Sung puts out like you've been putting a lot of like regular videos, so um, check out his stuff. He's great. Um, he's amazing. Um, <laughs> shoot, gotta hurry up. Um, Thanks for listening to Clobcast. You can um, always reach us with any feedback, um, questions, or <laughs> or topic suggestions by going by emailing by emailing us at podcast at collaboration dot org. And don't forget to subscribe subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play Music, and Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found on our RSS feed. I don't think um, anyone's listening also, at this point. Marvin. You can also. I, let me finish this. Let me finish this. Yeah. <laughs> you can also you um, rate us, give us a rating and review on iTunes. We would love that very much. Uh, thanks again, Giyamazawa, for use of his song Right Out uh, for our intro and outro. And um, yeah, that'll do it for us. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, for Minji, Marvin, and Sung, we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe, Marv. All right. Gotta forget where I just left to make room for the next city I fly towards. Ride with me. Ride with me. Ride out. Ride out. Ride with me. Ride with me. Ride out. Ride out. Man, I miss down south. And I miss my crew. And I miss dead homies. And I miss her too. Once and it's all gone, nobody to fall on Whenever you fall off the throne that you bought from The devil the dark side and blame on the art form But what if the art dies? What if the art dies? <laughs>